So my guest today is Nick Butter. Nick is an endurance athlete, adventurer and author. He is also the first and only person to run a marathon in every country in the world. An unbelievable achievement. But Nick didn't stop there. He recently completed his epic run Britain event, which saw him break the record for circumnavigation of Britain by foot. That's 5,240 miles in 128 days. Nick, welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. No worries at all. That's a pretty epic intro as well. That's uh, we're going to get right into that. But before we before we kind of go too far, can you maybe start off? Just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your kind of childhood background, brothers and sisters, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm 32, one younger brother. Um, grew up in uh, Dorset predominantly, but spent a bit of time in the out, bit of time in uh, London. Um, then later, later worked in uh, in London and uh, actually moved to Bristol for a while. Um, I had a real job, and then I waved goodbye to my real job and uh, and goodbye to money in the process. And, and uh, <laughs> And, and took up running, I guess. Love that. And where are you? So what? So one uh, one sibling uh, growing up in some some pretty nice parts of the world, by the sounds of things. Were you pretty active as kids? Were you out there kind of running free, or were you a bit more indoorized as a child? No, I was. Yeah, absolutely outdoor everything. Um, we right. were, uh, you know, mud pies as kids, and we <laughs> we lived basically near a, a farm. Lots of animals. Um, and uh, some very good friends of ours who uh, had lots of places to go and just blow things up, you know, rally around cars when we were 12 in the garden and just just all the stuff. I'm So when I say blow things up, I mean, uh, you know, like make little, know, fill a car full of gas or something. <laughs> but on, on our own, it wasn't I was just on the streets of London. <laughs> This was in a controlled environment. Um, no, it, we, it was it, part of it was uh, irresponsible. Part of it was just being, you know, ten years old in living in the countryside, horses, dogs, uh, just a hell of a lot of fun. And I had definitely not a normal upbringing in that sense because we had lots of very fortunate people. But um, I, yeah, I feel like we had a, a great childhood. Beautiful, and, and I think that those kind of environments do do sometimes nurture that type of childhood, don't they? When you, I grew up in in kind of rural Norfolk, and there was plenty of opportunities to kind of run run wild and free, uh, you know, back then as well. It's a bit different now, I guess, as well. You know, people are a little bit more concerned about letting their their kids, uh, you know, roam too far and wide. But but also very fortunate to be in the. Uh, in the great outdoors and not in too much of an urban environment. But I, I read a really interesting um, uh, fact about you, and I, I want to make sure it's true, but I read that you ran your first marathon at age 11. Is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How did that happen? Slowly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I was, it was a, a, a team event at school where my rest of my team didn't show up. So... And I, there's a brilliant photo. I mean, I'm dressed in a uh, a short sleeve shirt with my top button done up because I was a very good student, and uh, and long trousers because I didn't, I forgot my PE kit. Um, and so, yeah, my first uh, first marathon was <laughs> just completely bizarre, and and also very painful and highly irresponsible of my parents, really. But look, <laughs> look what happened. So, 
Brilliant. Yeah, it's kind of uh, written in the stars from that point on, wasn't it? That you would end up doing some fairly insane endurance uh, endurance challenges. That's pretty remarkable doing it at age 11. Did you did you kind of love every minute, hate it? What was what, what was the feeling at the end of that? I think it's the same as pretty much all the running I've done since. You hate it during and then you love it afterwards. Um, right. No, I, yeah. no I, I exaggerate a little bit. Um, my memory, if honest, is, is not great about it because I remember it being a, a bit of a suffer fest, but also uh, really enjoying it. So I guess that's, yeah, I've, I've said it. It's the same as, as what I do now. Um the the kind of the second second degree fun as we call it the fun that happens after the the occasion um the the kind of suffering during is is a form of fun i suppose but um yeah i I don't have kind of you know horrible memories of it but i equally don't have you know memories of elation and joy it was it was just something I like that though, Nick, as well, because I've, I've um, you know, done quite a few endurance challenges and, and friends and family often say, oh, you know, why why do you do that? Surely it's just not much fun. And, and you know, we took, like you say, we call it type two fun, don't we? And, and pe- but people don't necessarily understand it. But I think for, for me, it's the spectrum of emotions that you go through that kind of makes you feel alive and energized. You know, the, the ultra highs and the ultra lows combined are what make it memorable and meaningful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's a mix of everything, uh, and then you when you go and run further and further and further, those feelings you've just described are uh, just exaggerated even right. more. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I bet. So you you kind of touched already that you you spent some time in in the city. You kind of had the I'll call it the traditional job, and then at, and at, you touched on this earlier, but at some point you decided. I'm not going to do that anymore and, and I'm going to pursue a, a different path and, and probably forego some of the uh, the riches of, and trappings of success that you might previously have had. So, you know, what what was the stimulus for that change in your life? Was there was there some main event that happened or, or you know, was it kind of an aggregation of things? Uh, definitely an aggregation of things. And I think anybody that stands up and says this happened and then, you know, this made me do this, I think that may well be the case but there is definitely an aggregation going on um and i'm very aware of that you know there's lots of people in my life that have you know friends that have have died at you know, 16 there's friends and family of mine that have died too young and then i was thrown together which was the, the birthplace of me kind of changing my my path in life my career path as well um was then another one of these moments which was just the tipping point you know if you keep adding to the to the scales then eventually it tips and that was this this one chap a guy called uh, uh, Kevin Weber um and if you if you google him he's an incredible runner and an amazing man I've got also got a book out as well um and i met him when i was out in the sahara desert running the marathon de Saab. many of your listeners will know that race and 50 degrees you get put in a tent with about eight people um and one of them was kevin and he told me that he had terminal prostate cancer and was given as little as two years to live and i was a little bit taken aback i also didn't really fully take in what he was saying to me and then after the desert experience and the words that he said to me out there, everything started to sink in and I wanted to do more for Kevin. I wanted to do more for Prostate Cancer UK, you know, terminal prostate cancer, um, trying to trying to raise some money to fight the to fight the uh, the cancer. Um, and then his words just went round and round in my head. He said this this phrase that I talk about a lot, which is don't wait for a diagnosis. 
And of course, what he's referring to is don't wait for something in your life for you to make a change. And he just said that so many people don't realize that they have it in them to make the change before they, you know, they get that kick that they need. And for him, it was being told that he might not get to see his son live to 11 years old. And he realized he just had to use every minute of his time. And so fortunately I was, how old was I then? 20, I don't know. And I, I thought, right, I need to, I need to change something. And, uh, and I went back and I wanted to raise some money for, for prostate cancer. And I then decided to run around the world and the rest is history, I suppose. <laughs> There's there's so many parts to that story that I'd love to love to unpack. I mean, you know, first of all, um, Ke- Kevin's Kevin's message is so powerful, right? And that's very consistent with with the way that I talk about the twenty eight summers philosophy. Uh, you may you may or may not have heard the story of me hearing Jesse Itzler talk about something quite similar, not a not a terminal diagnosis, but. Um, he he turned 50 and realized the average life expectancy of a male in the US was 78. So he established he had 28 years left to live and, um, and had never really kind of thought about it that way before. But in that moment, suddenly started thinking, well, that's 28 summers that I have left. And, and, you know, maybe a few more summers with my kids, maybe one or two visits before I see my, you know, can't see my parents again. And it starts to snowball from there, doesn't it? Such a, such a powerful, powerful message. Um, so you went, you were then went back and, and, uh, you know, you kind of off the cuff said, well, I decided to run around the world. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it didn't happen quite like that. So, um, ha- what was the, when did the idea plant? Was it out there on the marathon to Sabla in the tent with Kevin? You started to think of that idea of perhaps I should run around the world or was it, did it happen more slowly than that? No, no, it didn't happen in the desert. I, 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 I definitely decided I wanted to do something for Kev, but I, I didn't know what, and I didn't really about it after that i thought oh maybe i'll run a marathon and raise some money for him you know that was the immediate and and when you're out in the desert you're a little bit cognitively poor because you're exhausted um and so i got back and and i thought you know and it just kept just kept being really powerful i don't know like i said an aggregation of lots of things happening but he was the tipping point and and i i thought and i say off the cuff like that because it kind of was i i remember the when I had when I was very young and we talk about this in the in the book that um that I've got that uh about well yeah I want to run a marathon in every country in the world and and then you google it and then you realize nobody else has done it and then me being me my mind made up that that's what was happening and within the space of a few minutes that's the plan and then a further two years of hard work and graft we don't get there yeah that and that but that's amazing isn't it i've spoken to guests before on this show uh, when there's there's kind of equal parts excitement and and apprehension when you take on something that nobody's ever done before it it's it's mega exciting of course because nobody's ever done it before but that also makes research and preparation quite tricky doesn't it um so can you just talk us through a little bit of what you know what what was it how many uh, you know how many days, how many countries? Kind of what was the what was the challenge? So the challenge was to run twenty six point two miles, so a marathon distance in in every country. Uh, and we originally set our got ourselves a goal of five hundred and fifty days because that seemed like a good target. And then we realised that you know, the home of marathon running from marathon to Athens in the famous, famous stadium in, in Athens was a, quite a good finishing point for the journey. And that happened to be November the, the 11th. Uh, and so we thought, actually, let's give ourselves a bit more room, we moved it out a little bit and, and then off, 
off we went on January the 6th. But the logistics from thinking about doing it to starting were huge. Uh, we got through, uh, eventually got through nine different passports in terms of visas required, 120 odd visas. We were going to need 455 flights. Well, the full story there is that we thought we would need about 220. Uh, and because of the changes during the journey, we needed 455. Uh, so there was a huge, huge shift in, in the plan during, as obviously, as, as everything always, always goes. But I suppose the months that led up to the start line on, on January the 6th, 2018, I... I uh, I realised why quite nobody had done it before. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. difficult. Even just finding the number of countries and you trying to find right. a flight path between them that was like nine months. It yeah. was so difficult. Um, and obviously the finances and the health and the yeah all that. Stuff, so yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And you know, I've I've interviewed a couple of um, around the world cyclists and and also a couple of guy, great guys that did it with a um, you know a motorcycle and sidecar. Uh, but nobody's yeah. ever mentioned the kind of the passport visa thing to me before, but it's such a, an obvious point, but yeah, it didn't even occur to me just how much that would blow through the pages in your passport. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's the thing with, with every country is that some countries have, you know, visas and stuff that take up four pages right? and then you've got stamps and then you've got wasted space and then you've got lost, you know, lost visas that you need to get again or visas that you need to get three or four or five different times because plans have changed. Right. Um, and you just rinse through the pages and that's a logistical nightmare because you've got to pick up your passport, obviously. Yeah, amazing. So I assume this is a kind of a leave your job and blow your life savings kind of a move, is it? I mean, you were, by the time you decided to do this, you were still working, were you in, in the city or had you well, already left? I was transitioning, I suppose. Okay. Um mentally i was already gone but technically i was still working um and uh, I, I had i was very fortunate that i had a very good um and i owe a lot to him actually a very good boss in the sense that he gave me so much freedom to go and race because i was you know the whole thing started with me competing and then right. sponsors can you go and compete here and i said no i've got to go to work and then that's when everything started to kind of shift and then i went out and raced in the desert then i met kevin and then that was kind of the last straw of work really because if i was going to run around the world it didn't make sense to go to work um but absolutely blow, blow the life savings and then some it was right. it was hugely costly yeah i can imagine and um in terms of kind of team support pulling together volunteers at that point was that was that a big big part of the challenge uh, i was very naive <laughs> and i thought maybe i could plan the thing on my own and maybe i'd have a couple of people helping me but between thinking about doing it and then finishing we'd had i think it was about 30 people that we worked that worked with me but about 15 during the journey and that was everything from volunteers to paid staff because it's a, you know the journey lasted 674 days so that's nearly two years and that's two years of people's time and they can't just you know dedicate the their lives uh, to me without being paid and so we had to work out the right people making sure that we could trust people to you know not not talking about purposely sabotaging but just to be able to be around for that amount of time and pick up the phone if we needed help um and then finding universal visas who did our visas that visa company that was a a really big win in the early stages of the planning right. um finding a few sponsors the the thing with sponsors as i'm sure you know is you send about 
10,000 emails and you and I'm not really exaggerating there by much and and then you end up if you're very lucky getting a few responses back and they say no right. <laughs> the most don't reply at all uh, and so you have to work quite hard at that because you have to get stuff covered you know flights vaccinations vaccinations were like six grand or something ridiculous right. just right. to get my you know, needles in my arm so um yeah there's there's yeah it was a logistical just yeah mayhem and what about the what about the physical challenge of running you know that many marathons over that period of time how how quickly did your body kind of adapt to what you were asking it to do it, it you know it adapted quite well I'd, I'd done i think it was 450 odd marathons by the time i'd left to start the trip um and so i knew i could do a marathon but the problem was experiencing things like altitude humidity huge high you know, i think i had um 59 degrees c and minus 25 degrees c um so going from one temperature to the other running all of a sudden from the equator and then you're running near the poles and uh, or towards the poles at least and so it was um in at the deep end but i could swim basically it was it'll be hard and a bit scary and my body is not sure what to do but we're still afloat kind of thing yeah i love that i love that analogy that's great and and um what are the some of the kind of the enduring memories for you like the top few memories that you look back on really fondly and the ones where you look back you think wow that was pretty pretty gnarly are there any big standout memories there's there's so many memories i I mean (laughs) Yeah. And I, in fact, I had a um, you know, conversation with somebody the other day about, about the, the concept of remembering a journey like that, because you remember it in, in, a, in a very different way to what happened. And then you look back through, I took 400,000 photos. So that's 400,000 memories right there. Um, and, and, and then you write the book and then you, you put together the documentary and that's, that's coming out next year. So we're doing a lot of, 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 of talking and reviewing things like trailers and footage. And, and so my memories have merged from what actually happened to how I remembered it at the time. And people would say to me, Oh, do you remember this? And I just say, no, not at all. And, and they would show me videos of it and I say, all oh, right, well, it happened, but I don't remember it. And so, but the answer is there's so many good memories. There's, there's more than I could possibly try and you know, try and explain, but the standout highlights, I would say always involve brilliant people. Uh, had I just traveled around an empty planet, it would have been magical, but the actual euphoric and joyful moments were always encompassed by amazing people and enabled by amazing people. Um, everything from, accidentally sitting down in a hotel lunch and having lunch with the the president of Zimbabwe, for example, uh, sorry, Zambia, um, or running with uh, many presidents, uh, random people around the world, running with a fantastic guy called Alam in in Ghana, in in Accra, who was a a C2 Paralympian who was actually crutching 10 kilometers with me at running pace. Uh, I ran with thousands of kids in El Salvador. I ran around an erupting volcano. We saw uh, huge, just uh, hundreds and hundreds of different species of animals, wild cats, whales, um, you know, bungee jumping over the Zambezi on my day off, uh, getting uh, just all of those incredible experiences. And then, you, of course, you have the other side of the coin whereby things go wrong and you are scared you're fearful of your life you worry about the finances of the journey 
And that's everything from being mugged at knife point and at gunpoint, being hit by a car, having a minor heart attack, being shot at, being put in a cell, being used as a drug mule over the border into Yemen. Um, There's stuff that you could not make up. And it was scary, but looking back, it, without it, the book wouldn't have been as interesting, let's face it. And so... <laughs> Very, very, uh, I'm very relieved to have made it out, but there were some really, really scary moments where there were a lot of tears, lots of tantrums, lots of, well, you know, and also other elements which maybe don't get the headlines of that was the most scary moment or the best moment, but moments where where you you go into a moment of, right, well, if this happens and then this happens, the trip is over, that kind of thing. Uh, and you know, when we either run out of money or you know, I had a driver that we hired to drive me into Syria and, and he was shot two days before we got there, shot and killed. Um, and, and things like that, that you really start to put everything into perspective. And so you, know, you talk about my learning and what it taught me, context and perspective on the little moments was just unreal. Um, yeah, extreme, extreme days, put it that way. Yeah, and that's where I was actually going to go next. You kind of answered it, but I, I guess a, a big question for me in these kind of majorly extreme, but also long, very long duration endurance events. Like I've spoken to quite a few ocean rowers, Pacific rowers, Atlantic, and and it's a long time away, isn't it? And so I'm always curious to know how much has it changed your outlook on life, and and you know how you how you approach challenges and obstacles that come your way. Uh, w- without exaggerating, it. I really honestly feel like I'm, I'm reborn. I'm not the same person right. in any way. Um, I'm, I have this huge uh, realization. It's almost like I've zoomed out and I've got a whole snapshot of the world and I can see how people are living in different places, you know, whether a country has traffic lights or whether they, uh, you know, they, they fish for their food, whether they have mud huts or whether they have skyscrapers, things like that, they all add up. And I'm sure you know the cumulative effect of that is you get this um, um, amazing kind of mosaic of the world. And yeah, and that creates this new world that you live in. And then you finish the trip right. and then you can't see your old self anymore. And so try, to trying to pinpoint what the old me was like and what the new me is is so difficult because I'm now the new me and I'm, I don't have the old me anymore. Um, but I do have this outrageously uh, just strong feeling of gratitude and just feeling like, and I, I talk in, in, in businesses and schools about the amazing freedom and opportunities we have as human beings and, and specifically you know, westernized developed countries uh, that have, you know, have those opportunities versus the places that don't. And we are the minutiae. We are tiny, as you know, tiny, tiny percent of the incredibly lucky people. Even anybody that's listening to this is in that bracket. Um, and there's a brilliant book actually called factfulness. If you've, if yes. you've not read it. Yeah, so, I've read it. Yeah. It's a brilliant book. And it just goes into the quite how lucky we are. Right. And and that's how I feel every day because of my experience around the world. I absolutely love that. I think what's also I'm curious to know whether you agree with this, but what what I also love about adventure and 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 challenges like this is you you obviously get them on the big challenges like the the one you we've just spent time talking about and the one we're going to talk about in a moment as well, um, because they're so uh, intense, right? And there's so such a concentrated experience um, consistently over time. But I do think you also get them 
with with micro adventures and you do get them with smaller adventures whether you're away on a a six-day race or you're going out just on a half-day adventure if you're if you're present in the moment you can get perspective from your day-to-day life by kind of going to a you know to a new area particularly if you're challenging yourself you're stepping out of your comfort zone yes i completely agree and and to use another analogy uh i think it's like reading a book uh any any of the greats and or any book for that matter and you read a book and then all of a sudden you have that knowledge or you have that feeling of that book and the endurance element of that is that you read the book again and again and again and again and you get different bits from it every time and so the more you spend in that zone the more you time you spend reading the book and reading the sentences in different ways then you get more out of it um i suppose it's the same with watching a film isn't it you know you, you watch a film and then you watch it for the 50th time and you've you've seen it in a different light uh and that's for me what 674 days around the world was it was the grueling element of i've I've been on a flight, I've ran a marathon, I've been on a flight, I've ran a marathon, but all of them had their nuances and, and that's right. what made up the, the patchwork. I absolutely love that. Love it. Um, so I want to make sure we spend a bit of time talking about your most recent adventure. So I, I think I'm right in saying that you, was it around 2019 that you that you finished the challenge? Uh, the last yeah, one? The, yeah, yeah. yeah, November 19, yeah. So then you kind of finished that, dealing with the aftermath, and then the world, uh, you know, f- fell under the pressure of a global global pandemic, which we've been dealing with. And, and all through that time, I guess you've been planning this this huge run Britain event, which, you, which you've recently completed. Well, well yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I finished, well, if I can, yeah, describe it a bit briefly. So uh running the world finished on november the uh, 11th and then on november the 23rd uh nikki and i moved in a, to our converted van so we moved into a van uh and that was in in kind of preparation for a speaking tour and that was to, to talk about the journey to promote the documentary promote the book etc which i'm literally just about to start again now um and then and then COVID hit. And so after a couple of months of touring, we couldn't speak anymore. Theatres were closed. Uh, and between lockdown one and lockdown two, I managed to write the book and actually get it out because I was delayed doing that. Uh, and and then also we went and ran. I did 100 marathons in 100 days running north to south of Italy. So we, we got the record from north to south of Italy. Um, and that was in the middle of the two lockdowns. And it was the only 100-ish days that the Italy was actually open and you're allowed to travel through it during the pandemic and so we picked our timing perfectly uh, we finished on Christmas Day we got back up uh, we drove through the night from from South Sicily all the way through mainland up through the Alps and stayed in the French Alps for three months and that was March April time uh, March time and at that point we were supposed to be running uh, north to south of Malawi and we were supposed to be running north to south of New Zealand. But because of COVID, we got these things planned thinking that it was going to go away soon. You know, COVID was going to would be gone in a few months. And then we thought, oh, maybe in a year. <laughs> and obviously we're still in it. Right. Uh, and, and Malawi and New Zealand got put to the back burner because we simply couldn't get to the countries. And so we then had the news, the announcement from Boris saying that lockdown is going to be ending on April the 15th, the first phase. And we thought, right, well, what if we do something to celebrate coming out of lockdown? What if we do a run around Britain? And then three weeks later, I was running around Britain. So there really wasn't a lot of planning. 
And it was um, it was a major major challenge this one because it wasn't just one marathon. You were trying to effectively hit a pace of two marathons a day, right? That's right. So yeah, uh, after doing Italy, hundred marathons, hundred days, I thought, well, can I do two marathons a day for a hundred days? And my true my true kind of heart told me that if I could, it was going to be a big push. But let's at least try it. You know, I like to be out of my comfort zone. Um, but I was well and truly out of my comfort zone. And we had numerous injuries, numerous, uh, I'm talking broken bones, uh, torn Achilles, pulled hamstrings, more or less every bone in my lower body, uh, sorry, every muscle in my lower body, apart from my right hamstring was, was damaged at some point or another, a bit meniscus in my knee and all these things. And so basically the answer is, can I run two marathons a day for hundred days? No, I keep getting injured. But when the nature of kind of my new career, I suppose, is you don't give up. My only job is to, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and so we did. And we ended up averaging 42 and a half miles a day as opposed to 52 and a half miles a day. But we managed to beat the record by, I think it was 172 days. So we, we, we managed to navigate Britain in 120. Uh, absolutely days. amazing. Uh, and I love the the resilience there because I, I followed you all the way through the journey and I know you were letting people come out and run with you. And it was just, it was, a, it was incredible to watch. And the, you know, the emotional highs and lows, you were very, very honest on your posts and, and you know you were obviously feeling it at the first uh, you know early on and it was it was looking like a huge mountain to climb but it was it was just remarkable to see you get all the way through it in a in 128 days it's just an incredible achievement yeah i'm thank you i i'm i'm really proud of myself for it because there were days and i think there was nearly a month period during the middle of the trip where i cried more or less every day while running um out of not out of you know i i want my mummy i'm having a, a paddy it was i'm in so much pain that that my tears were coming and they were happening every day and, and you, know, you battle winds and i lost a bit of my hearing after a while because of the wind noise going through my you know going through my ears um and i i really did suffer but but we just kept going and I'm so pleased we finished because I lost so much body weight, so much body fat that I was just a skeleton by the end of it. And uh, I'm actually going to post the picture relatively soon of, of what I look like uh, just in my underwear after the trip. I really, I look like a prisoner of war. I really do. I look so terrible. I'm just a skeleton. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it was like, like we talked about earlier, the second degree fun, the, what comes afterwards, the, the enjoyment, the euphoria, and just like with running the world, the finish line feeling was great, but actually the feeling every day afterwards gets more and more because it's the sense of accomplishment. And I'm just, I'm just so I, I owe a lot to a lot of people. I have to say that that helped and pushed me on. Not just the thousands of runners we had come out and run with me, but my team and the people behind the scenes that would do things like you know go and find a gas bottle when we needed more gas so I could have my, you know that stuff is so important <laughs> and yeah. and uh yeah there was a lot of brilliant people that made it possible i, I do love that as well nick because i think you know in uh, we before the pandemic i think we kind of got to the point where there was so much negative press out there you'd be forgiven for thinking that you know everybody hated everybody and and there's no kindness left in the world you know and i think that the pandemic has been you know, her horrific for many people. But if you can try and look for the positives, one of the positives that I've seen is 
Um, you know, people are being kind to each other and that's something that we should celebrate. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of folks, as I said, who've done these big journeys around the world. And I always hear the same thing, which is people are remarkable. Like the, the journey wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for all the, the wonderful people that you encountered who helped you, who supported you, who cared for you on your journey. Yeah. And, and I think the message there is not just people are amazing, but you are a person yourself and you have the yeah. opportunity amazing back it's yeah. and, and i'm i'm really learning because i'm so driven and so in many ways you have to be pretty selfish to do this kind of yeah. stuff and yeah. i'm i'm slowly learning that i'm i want to spend more time obviously we have the charity and everything but actually just giving back to my friends and family that have, have done so much for me um the the humanity is amazing and i look at covid like you said it's horrendous for so many people but it has been a bit of a, a kindness reset. It's been a, a bit of an option to go. Yeah, we can we can help our neighbours out. We can think for a moment. It was just a big pause button, wasn't it? It was a big let's stay indoors. Let's not do anything that we normally do and realise how lucky we are. Uh, and and here we are. And and also get perspective, like you say, realise how lucky we are, and and you know miss what we what we maybe took for granted before. And and that kind of links to one of the other things that I. I'd love to hear your thoughts on because you decided to do something close to home in run Britain. And, and I, through the lockdown, really have, I lived in the US for a few years and then came back and then the pandemic hit and have, have really fallen in love with the United Kingdom all over again. And, you know, part, partly driven by necessity, not being able to travel, but partly driven by having my eyes open to just what is right on our doorstep. And, um, you know, so you, you've had the you know, the fortune of, of seeing so much more of it than I have, but the bits that I've seen and the time that I've spent traveling around the UK, it's just, we're so blessed to have such a wonderful, wonderful country and wonderful landscape. Is that, is that your take as well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm so lucky that I've now can say I've been to every beach in Britain uh, mainland because, you know, you go around the coast, you see everything. And not only that, but we ran through something like three and a half thousand towns and villages and that's a lot of towns and villages and you see the 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 range of everything from kind of idyllic empty scotland to the busy not so clean blackpool for example but they all have their and i i look through i suppose this i got this from running the world but i look at places through the faces of the people that live there if that makes sense so looking at you know how people are with their expressions if they are loud if they are quiet if they're reserved if they're friendly and there's a whole diversity of the countryside and then you throw the the whole nature con conversation in there and andy my right hand man on the trip who also came out and did some running with me on running the world he um he drove the support vehicle for run Britain every day and went to every single junction and waited for me. And he is a, a an amazing man, but he's also a, a big birdie, a twitcher, loves his bird spotting. And I've learned, I don't know, 50, 60 different species of bird. We saw, I think it was 150 something different types of bird around Britain. And of course, we, we were opened to all of the different uh, climates because we ran through different seasons. Um, we, you know, at the beginning, we were having to put the hobs on in the in the in the support vans to keep warm at night, and uh, and then it, you know we got thirty something degrees towards the end, and I can honestly say Britain is a place where we should all feel not just because of what we provide with the you know the NHS and all of the the benefits of being in the Western world, but 
this island is just remarkable. Some of the best places I've ever seen in anywhere in the world were, were up in the northwest of Scotland, just in the middle of nowhere, tiny little coves of pristine white sand and nobody around. Um, and I, I, I'm just amazed. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm outside as we're having this conversation on a, right on a cliff, on a beach. Um, and, and one of the things actually that we talk about my, uh, my kind of my perspective on everything, I, I was so, so busy running next to the ocean the whole time that I made a pact with myself that I would get in the ocean every day uh, after the trip. And I, and I have done. So I've amazing uh, for my morning swim. Yeah. Absolutely just, love that. So uh, is there a book, is there a book coming for uh, running Britain? Yes, there sure. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there is. So I'm, I'm actually writing two books at the minute, but yeah, the, the Run Britain will come out um, the, the, the quickest. Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying writing that. I'm taking my time with it because there's a lot to cram in. And I was, you're running for 12 hours a day, every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, your memories are a bit blurred. So I'm having to go back through photos. I'm also going back through uh, Andy's notes because he's helping me, uh, helping me with the writing as well. He's also going to co-author it with me because I'm quite keen to have his perspective in the book. Um, yeah. So many adventure books are from the eyes of the adventurer. But if you've got somebody there that is with you the entire time, they too are the adventurer, even if they're not doing the running. Um, yeah, I love that. So I'm, I'm quite, yeah, I'm quite excited for that book. It's, I mean, I'm really enjoying writing it and the, you know, the, the, the philosophy bits, the, the slightly more descriptive kind of poetic bits, and then the, the sheer fear and terror and trauma of, uh, of being <laughs> in pain for so long. I think that's a really interesting point that you make about Andy though. I've got a friend, uh, Katie, who has got a podcast and she's uh, currently interviewing um, uh, the, the wife of James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. Um, and for a similar reason that, you know, there's, we often hear the perspective of the adventurer or the athlete, but we don't often hear the, the story and the point of view of the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, um, the ever enduring souls that kind of support you and, and are there in the background dealing with your kind of grumpy mood swings and, and all the things you need. So that, I think that's fascinating. I'm, I'm excited to hear his perspective. That is, that is brilliant because the, um, the, the reality is, is that the support crew by default always are the 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 background people even if you're trying to tell the story as is their story but really they it's their story in their own right andy suffered just like i suffered um i i can assure you if you say to somebody do you want to drive you know very slowly to every junction for four months for and i think he did nearly nine thousand miles in in the van when i was running five and a half um that is just torturous and it it's took its toll on us um unfortunately we uh we're both still friends um but it's uh it makes or break a friendship but it was yeah just he really deserves the uh the, the story because it was, it was no, phenomenal. no question and and there's a lot of pressure on him isn't there and i mean i recently did a um full descent of the thames trying to set the fastest known time for a single kayak of the thames and we had a guy in a van a friend really good dear friend of mine dominic who had a, a mercedes sprinter van like yours um converted and and he you know he was exhausted by the end and he hadn't lifted a paddle but to your point he was constantly running ahead getting up setting up getting us hot food getting us um you know hot drinks so that we could because it was miserable biblical rain the whole time as is often the way 
Um, and, and he's got all of that pressure of making sure he's there to refuel us because he knows the impact of not being there to refuel you and to help you. And it, it's that amplified a hundred times for, for Andy on your, your, your run Britain. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and not only is it, is it so kind of, uh, you have the responsibility, but it is unrelenting for so long. It's over a third of a year. How often yeah. do you spend a third of a year with somebody that isn't a family member or your right. partner? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I, I it was just uh, yeah, an amazing friend to have, and I think that's another great thing about adventure and, and living that slightly uh, yeah. different in different path is that you experience things that nobody experiences. So yeah, how was that about your your Thames attempt? How was it? It was it was good. I, I we we picked um, the the start of August, thinking the weather would be good, and and is, as is often the way, <laughs> mother Mother Nature had different ideas. So it was genuinely biblical rain for for you know three days straight and um one of one of the things that can consistently amuses me now but didn't amuse me much in the moment was if you look at a map of the thames it kind of winds all over the place right it goes every every direction on the compass and yet we consistently had headwinds it didn't seem to matter yeah it didn't seem to matter which way we were going we had the wind in our face and it was it was rain it was a bit of a suffer fest but and it was definitely that type two fun but you know, I'm I'm delighted that we made it to the end, and and uh, it, it it's it's something that I want to do more of and do more longer multi day type events because you just learn. So I know it sounds really cliched, and people may groan. Uh, well, actually, hopefully our listeners won't because they, you know, they will buy into this as well. But you do just genuinely learn so much about yourself and what you're prepared to tolerate, what you're not, how you handle difficult circumstances, and and you know what what you what what power you get from other people and what power you can give to other people in those moments so yeah it it was it was remarkable it was one of the one of the best experiences in my life genuinely brilliant and hopefully loads more to come we'll have to stay close on that because there's uh yeah we've got some bits coming up we might be able to rope you in so i'm oh that would be lovely um yeah I've got a fun one coming up next year, which uh, which I'll share with you offline. But that one I'm pretty excited about, which is a full source to see on the Thames. So going from Kemble down to the Thames Barrier. So that one I'm I'm pretty excited about and starts and finishes with a marathon. So that should be quite cool. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I'm trying, trying to keep up with you, but I'm a long way behind. <laughs> Um, but look, hey Nick, it's it's clear you're um you're a man on a mission, right? So you you've done some incredible challenges. I love your website. There's just so much positivity on there, and you're you're very cause focused as well. I mean that that started uh, with your conversation with Kevin, and you've kept you know that cause focus all the way through. And and I love that. You know, it's not just it's not just adventuring uh, for self indulgence. There's there's a clear purpose with most of what you do. So. What what are you what 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 causes are you supporting right now? Did you support with the last run and and what's you know what's important to you right now? Yeah, so we made a, a very distinct uh, decision after running the world that we would make sure that we had a few things at the heart of everything we do. And you talk about you know how you how you structure your life to live kind of alternatively. And I picked three 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 things that kind of all had to intersect. One was adventure, which is a given, I suppose, but that can very easily be lost if you get sucked back into earning money. Um, number two is community. So we always have to involve the community that we're doing something in. So if I'm running through Malawi, we have to uh, make sure that the community are at the forefront of what we do um, and the running community in general as well. And then the third third part of that is the environment. 
Uh, and so we need to make sure that we're not only carbon neutral, but we're carbon negative and that we are learning. I made a big kind of goal. I got a, a huge piece of, uh, uh, I think it was a zero <laughs> paper and just scribbled all over it. And I wanted to make sure that we were uh, learning about the, the environmentalism because I learned so much from running the world about our, our carbon offsetting stuff. Um, that I, I wanted to know more about it. So we've set up a, a campaign called, uh, an initiative called Free Your Footprint, which is uh, a Strava club. It's also in its lifetime, we hope that we will be able to make every runner worldwide carbon neutral. And that is very much a dream, but is we are working to make that possible on a big scale because obviously there are costs involved and we want it to be a, a case of we can ask individuals to run and what they give back is that they have a carbon offset without having to pay for anything. So they just basically run for their offset. Um, but there's, there's, there's more stuff to come on that. And I'm very excited about that. But the principal charity that we now have, uh, I raised for, for prostate cancer during running the world. And then when that finished, I realized that I wanted to do something that could cover more causes and have more of an impact without asking for tens of thousands of pounds, but instead asking for tiny amounts of money from hopefully lots of people. So we came up with this concept that we now have our charity that's been registered for a few years now called uh, the 196 Foundation. And the 196 Foundation is on Instagram, it's on the website, you can see all about it. But fundamentally, we're asking for donations of £1.96 per month. So the 196 is obviously how many countries there are in the world. And you can't donate any more, any less. Uh, it's just £1.96 per month. And with every month, you get a vote. And every year, we put all of that money into a pot. And then importantly, this is the unique part about the, the, the foundation, is that we have this democratic donorship model where we ask all of the donors to vote on which project we have. And those projects are selected by uh, individuals, groups, charities, nonprofits, all contacting us and saying, can you help us with this aspect? So it could be that you have a neighbor that needs a, an expensive wheelchair. It could be that you want to build a school in Uganda or you want to build an orphanage or you want a, a disabled boxing gym in Hackney. It could be anything. As long as it is doing some good anywhere in the world, we will listen and if we have the funds we will put the option forward to the donors and then once a year the donors will then place their votes and the one with the most votes will then get our support the foundation is entirely non-profit and we run the charity for about a thousand pounds a year of which doesn't come out of the, the money that is donated that is paid for by us me and a few of the others that are involved in the foundation um and if we can find, you know, if we can find a thousand pounds from a, a company that will pay us to, to to run those costs, then we'll we'll take that money. But none of the money will come from uh, individuals donating. So I'm really passionate about it because we've we've got a good start. We we kicked it all off with uh, with Running Britain, and we have about a thousand donors signed up now. Uh, and we pick the first project that we deliver in April next year. Uh, and so we need volunteers to come and help us deliver whatever that project may be. If you're a builder and we need to build a school, if you're a, uh, a company that can give us some discount on a wheelchair, for example, it could be anything. Um, and, and similarly, if you're listening to this and you know somebody or, or a cause that needs help, then just get in touch, give me a call. And uh, I'm super keen to be able to make sure that what we deliver has the right impact and is very cost effective. So I'm um, trying to use some of my finance background there to, to make sure that we're not wasting money as so many charities very sadly do. So um, we're trying to do it the right way. 
That's fantastic. I absolutely love it. And um, I, I think the model is, is really smart. It's, uh, you know, when you, and you add up all those, uh, those individual amounts of £1.96, it can be pretty meaningful pretty quickly. So it's really positive to see you using your platform uh, and, you, you know, your community to do something so great. I'm, I'm sure as heck going to sign up immediately after, um, after this call. So uh, you can count me in and I'll look forward to casting my votes in, uh, in April. Um, so we're nearly out of time, Nick. I just, you know, so grateful for your time. I think uh, so much of what you shared is, is fascinating and I, I'm sure it will be inspirational to people. Uh, for anybody who's kind of listening in who, you know, who's thinking about taking on their own challenges, whatever they may be, um, what might be your advice to people who want to live more adventurously but perhaps don't know where to start? There will never be a right time. I think that's the obvious answer. And I think anybody listening will have a million and one reasons why that's not happening for them at the moment. Uh, and even if it's, oh, yes, well, when this happens, I can do this. I'm afraid to say you've just got to do it. Um, you can be smart with the way that you do it, but there is no right way. You cannot go into something and have a, a backstop. You have to have, uh, you have to have a... You have to jump both feet in at the deep end, like we said, and, and, and make yourself swim. I think that's the best thing. But also have the right people around you. Um, I wouldn't have had this charity that we just talked about without meeting a, a great guy, another guy called Nick uh, in Guatemala when I was running the world. He is now the chair of the foundation um, and he helped me set the foundation up. So if you've got the right people around you, I mean, we've, we've talk, talked about how great people are, but you just, if you can, in, in the opening part of the forward of my book, the phrase that I use is you are the sum of those around you. Um, and if you have good people, if you have well-meaning people, and you yourself jump in, then you can't really fail. And I say that in a sense of you may not achieve what you set out to achieve, but you will be closer to where you want to be than where you were before. So, and and more importantly, you will learn regardless. So uh, I think you just need to, you know, if it's, and, and, and when we talk about adventure, it may be adventure in the, the classical sense of going to the North Pole, for example, but it also could be you're just wanting to spend more time on a camping trip with your family. And you think that might not be possible because you might not have the funds or there might not be the time or where can we go? Do the research, make it happen. It might not be perfect, but it's going to be so much better than just putting it off until tomorrow. Because as we know, tomorrow never comes, does it? Yeah. Great, great advice. What a great way to, to finish. I'll make sure that I put all of the, uh, the links to the 196 Foundation and to your website in uh, in the show notes and, and on the post when we promote the episode. But just finally, where can people follow you online? Uh, yeah, so it's very simply, it's nickbutter.com. Uh, obviously, the 196foundation.com. Uh, and on Instagram, social media is just nickbutterrun. And my email address is on the website uh, and my phone number. So give me a call, give me an email. Um, I'm more than welcome. Like I've said, people are everything. So uh, if you want to get involved, if you want to help with anything, or if you want me to help with anything, then let me know. Um, and I'll also finally say that with the with the speaking tour, we have lots of schools coming up around Britain. If you are connected to a school and you want me to come along and speak, then just let us know because we're we're filling up fast. We've got more or less one one school a day till the end of the year as of October. So uh, I'd love to, to try and spread the message a bit further. So thank you again, mate, for, for chatting today. No, it's been my pleasure. I really appreciate the time and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Nick.